beautiful song, Have Thine Own Way. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 John chapter 1. We have said in the series so far that we can know ahead of time that when we come to God and ask Him to bless us indeed in certain areas of our lives, that He desires to do just that. There are opportunities that we can ask Him to enlarge, and He will give us what's been requested. Now, it's not always in the way that we think He should, but He always gives us the opportunity to grow. And sometimes we have to grow through trials. Sometimes we have to grow through valleys. I don't know if you have ever made the mistake of praying for patience before. God, give me patience. And well, if you read the Bible, you find out that the trying of your faith is what works patience. And James said, let patience have her perfect work, or let patience bring you to maturity. And, and so God has different ways of shaping us. When we pray these prayers for God to enlarge us, it's not necessarily going to be this health and wealth path. It's going to be God enlarging us through making our soul more mature, making us more of what he wants us to be. And we've already talked about God enlarging our coasts or our opportunities from our text in First Chronicles that we used. And we've talked about God enlarging our commitment to him, about enlarging our church according to his will. And we talked last week about enlarging the crowd of people we know so that we can have more kingdom influence. Today we're going to talk about God enlarging our community. 1 John chapter 1 is our text, and if you're there and you're physically able, would you stand? And if somebody close to you needs an opportunity to look on with you, I hope you'll allow them to do that. 1 John chapter 1, first seven verses is what we'll read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon... And our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it. I bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Father, would you bless this morning as we talk about enlarging our community by your grace. I pray that you would help us to have an understanding of your word in a special way today. Thank you for each one who's here and who's been faithful to come to your house to worship. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Could you start that again, please? In whom we have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Find a place to stand and wonder at his mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me come beneath the cross of Jesus my unworthy soul is one beneath the cross of Jesus his family is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now we're one through grace alone. How could I now dishonor the ones who you loved beneath the cross of Jesus see the children called by God that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Beneath the cross of Jesus, the path before the crown we follow in his footsteps where promised hope is found how great the joy before us to be his perfect Beneath the cross of Jesus, we will gladly live our lives. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God 
our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Thank you, Kathy, for that. We have two special Sundays in November that I want to tell you about. Uh, two weeks from today, the week of uh, Veterans Day, it's November 8th, we want to have a special meal uh, right after the morning service for all veterans. And so we want you to invite veterans and then also to help with the meal. And to help with the meal, you can see Mrs. D. Deacons on that. Then two weeks after that, we have Mission Sunday. And that evening is our mission banquet. And what we need is we need about 12 to 15 tables in here, table captains, uh, who will help us with the mission banquet that night to get an offering together for your table for our special speaker. And we have the Hollies uh, from Nicaragua this year. And we're really looking forward to the mission banquet. So I just wanted to keep you kind of uh, thinking about these things because they're coming up quickly. And so the Veterans Sunday, two weeks from today, go ahead and start inviting all the veterans you know to come, and we want to provide them a, just a wonderful meal and have a special service uh, that highlights them, and we have some things planned for that day, and I hope you'll be here for it. Well, of all the people that God could have used to write about fellowship, he chose to use the Apostle John. There were literally thousands of people that followed Jesus from a distance in his time on earth. There were hundreds that even followed him closely, but there were only 12 that were privileged to be his disciples. And from that group of 12, there were three that were the inner circle that got to be on, on some uh, wonderful, important events, Peter, James, and John. And out of that three, there was one that was known for his close relationship with Jesus Christ. God used John to express to us the importance of our fellowship. Now, the Greek word that we have for fellowship is the word koinonia. All right, so koinonia, it's kind of a weird word. And what I always think of is I think of the, uh, the fish pond, the Japanese fish pond that has the koi, and then I kind of remember the word. So I had to learn the word when I did Greek like 20 years ago. And it's like one of the only four words that I still remember from Greek class. It's, it's hard to remember all those words. But koinonia, fellowship. And when we think of fellowship, even when we hear that word, it's possible, it's even likely, that we don't have the New Testament definition in mind. And so today I, I want to do some, uh, some teaching, first of all, and then some preaching. And we're going to give some teaching on what fellowship really is, what it isn't, and then some preaching on the reason why it's so important for our lives. And so let's start today by talking about the who of our fellowship. The notes are provided in your, in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. The who of our fellowship. And we begin by talking about this word koinonia. Simply put, it is a bond for a united purpose. However, the New Testament describes a very specific bond of fellowship. It's more than just a business partnership or more than some shared activity that people do together. Go back with me, first of all, to Luke chapter 5. 
And we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study here at the first part of the message. And then, as I said, we'll finish up by some application of the preaching at the end. I connected my mic to my jacket. All right, so Luke chapter 5. And I want you to notice a, a word here. And uh, those of you who have it, Luke 5.10, I want you to go ahead and look at which, which word in this verse is the, the Greek word koinonos, or uh, kind of this word we're looking for. All right, go ahead and look and see if you can figure out which one you think it is. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Anybody figure out what word it was? I just heard seven different things. Somebody shout it out to me. Partners. All right. There we got it. Quiz one done. Partners. All right. Partners is, is the word that we were looking for. Uh, koinonos is the Greek word. And it's the root for this word we're going to look at, koinonia. So these men, they had a bond because they were fishermen. And because they had this shared purpose of catching fish and participation with each other. But I want you to understand that this was not New Testament fellowship. All right, This was a bond, but it wasn't a fellowship bond. Now go to Matthew chapter 23. And I'll show you one that's even more obvious that it's not fellowship. But I want you to see another place where the word is used. Okay, so Matthew 23, verse number 30. And once again, let's see if we can pick out the word in here for koinonos. It says, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Anybody pull it out? What do you think it was? Partakers. You guys are getting better. It's getting easier the whole way. So partakers is the word in that one. Now, obviously, being partakers with those that killed God's prophets would not qualify as fellowship. Right? But that's the Greek word koinonos. So we see some ways it's used. Where people are partners, where they're partakers. And now we move forward to Philippians chapter 1. And we begin to see what fellowship really is. It's more than just this bond. There's a special bond that's linked in the Scripture. Philippians chapter 1. Keep working with me here on getting all these Scripture, and, it, and it's going to pay off at the end. All right, Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse number 5. Yeah, this one's easy because it gives us the word fellowship. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day... Until now. So there it is. Fellowship in the gospel. Now let's connect the dots with our passage back in 1 John chapter 1. So go back to 1 John chapter 1. And we've, we've kind of talked through this in the last couple of minutes. That there's partners, there's partakers. But it has to be in the gospel. And now we say in 1 John 1, well what is Fellowship in the gospel. Okay, let's see what it is. First John chapter 1, verse number 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. Interesting to me, and maybe to you, that's the third time we've done that verse this morning. I did it twice, and the song, she did it once. And she had no idea what I was speaking today. So isn't that interesting, how that worked? Um, So God brought that verse to our attention, that he wants us to really focus on this. Fellowship in the gospel is fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you could put an equal sign in here, here's what you would understand. Jesus Christ equals the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. There's no gospel without Jesus. The gospel is not some doctrinal theory. The gospel is not some religious dogma. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And that's what John talks about as he opens the the book here. That which was from the beginning, which we've seen, which we've looked upon. He talks about the word of life, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the gospel. Koinonia, then, is a spiritual bond that comes about when a person accepts Jesus Christ. When a person accepts the gospel, he's then involved in koinonia. Right? So we've established this. So this is the who of our fellowship. Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the who. Now let's talk about the when of our fellowship. When does it happen? Once a person's saved, I guess we could say in a certain sense that a person who's saved is always in fellowship with God and other believers. And yet it's safe to say that not every activity that we share with other Christians is fellowship in the gospel. And so I want you to go back to Acts chapter 2, and let's see what happened when believers came into the fellowship with Jesus Christ in the first church there at Jerusalem. And there's a key phrase here in Acts chapter 2. You guys are working hard getting to all these verses. Some of you are cheating because you've got the electronic and you just punch the thing and there it is. Some of you are working hard doing your Bible drills out there. Right? How many of you used to do Bible drills when you were a kid? They, make you, uh, they, they really made it hard on us. We couldn't put our thumbs inside. All right? So Bible drills, what they do is they call out these verses and uh, you have to have your Bible totally closed. And I've got my thumb in here, so I'm kind of cheating right now. But you've got to have your hands all the way on the outside, and then they'll call out a verse, like Hezekiah 2.3. Everybody's goes. And then, you know, the guy up at the front, he's like, that one's a trick. There's no book called Hezekiah. Right? And everybody's, oh. And, you know, Luke 11.1. 1. And they go, and as soon as you stood up and started saying the first word, you're the winner. Man, I love that game. It's a great game. And it kind of teaches the books of the Bible. But Acts 2 is where we're at. Now look at verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly. So we've got to figure out, well, who's the they? Because they is a pronoun. So it means there's an antecedent. There's something that the pronoun stands for. I want you to go back up to verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his words, that's salvation, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Right? So this is the, the day of Pentecost, and the people were added to the local church. Now verse 42, and they continued. 
So that's those who had been saved. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's that word koinonia. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 44 goes on to say, all that believed were together and had all things common. And so you could take this term and you could say that the early church practiced communism. Not communism, where they were forced to give up things, but communism, where everybody just brought in all their possessions and said, hey, let's all share and let's all help each other. And then they continued, it says in verse 46, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so we see this early form of koinonia. Now, some would say that this verse, verse 42, sanctions any social function as a work of the church. But that's a little bit of a stretch. That's not really what's taking place here. The connection here, I want you to go back to it, verse 42. What was the connection that brought them together? It was the apostles' doctrine, the gospel, the entire system of faith. Now, does this mean that a church softball team can't be a fellowship? No, but it means that just having a team doesn't necessarily qualify as fellowship. There has to be some purpose and determination to make that attached to the gospel, to make that authentic fellowship. I love to play in church softball league. I think it's great. And, uh, you, you know, you always start with this premise, we're going to make this a part of outreach, and we're going to make this part of fellowship. But when it comes to tournament time, you're calling in every ringer you know. That's right. My cousin used to play for, you know, the Atlanta Braves. Okay, call him. And, you know, at the first game of the year, if somebody had said that, you would say, is he a believer? Right? Has he been baptized in the local church? You know, does he practice what he preaches? Does he have bad language? You're asking those things. But as the games go by and tick, 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 and you get to tournament time, it's like, if he's breathing and he has arms this big and he can swing a mean bat, bring him in. Okay? And, and there are all kinds of activities that local churches have that the premise is, you know what, let's have an aerobics class together and that'll be a great fellowship. And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. Um, or let's have a mom's group and let's come together and let's talk about how we can grow as moms. Is that really fellowship? It is if it's purposeful. See, fellowship has to be done on purpose. Uh, it never happens by accident. And so God's giving us the connection. The connection was the apostles' doctrine. And we could go on with illustration after illustration of ideas and activities that would require some strategy and hard work to actually qualify as Christian fellowship. Now, the New Testament does speak about some things that we can know. I mean, we just know that they are part of koinonia. Now, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. When we come together to pray, that's koinonia. We, we know that. That's biblical. It's right there in the Word of God. And when it says in Hebrews 10 that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When we assemble together as a local church, that's part of koinonia. 
It's where we gather around the apostles' doctrine. Right? Where we come together. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll show you this one. Because there's a certain word in here that's very interesting. Words in the Word of God are very important. 1 Corinthians 10. I want to show you this. And this is a verse where it begins to talk about the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 16. It says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the koinonia of the blood of Christ? The communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the koinonia of the body of Christ? Once again, the word communion is used here. And so this describes the Lord's Supper as the communion of the body of Christ. By the way, we have the Lord's Supper next Sunday night in our 5.30 service. And we're going to experience koinonia together. When we participate in things that involve the gospel, we are having fellowship in the gospel. Our life group studied passages this morning in Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 8, and Hebrews 13 that identify other koinonia activities. And believe it or not, one of the words that's used for koinonia, one of the English words, is the word contribution. Isn't that interesting? When we contribute things together. One of the instances was uh, the church at Corinth had gathered together to take up offerings for the needy in Macedonia. And God called that koinonia. And their distribution was another word. Another word in Hebrews 13 was the phrase to communicate, meant koinonia. It means when we get together and we have seven or eight people or we have three people or we have two people together and I notice there's a need and I share with that person, that's to communicate, right? Now, there's other forms of communication as well. Husbands, you can ask your wives about this, right? The forms of communication that need to take place on the planet Earth, right? And your wife will be happy to, she'll fill you in on this, about communication. But this is a biblical term, koinonia, to communicate. And we found out also in Life Group that the Greek word koinonia is actually used 20 times in the New Testament. So it's a, it's a pretty common term. And so that's the when of our fellowship. When do we fellowship? Well, hope that answers the question. The next one is the what of our fellowship. And I think we're circling in on this. We're getting close to understanding what fellowship is. But you know, when it comes to definitions, the meaning of the opposite helps us to more narrowly understand the term. And I'm sure you've had to come up with these at a family Thanksgiving game night before, right? Where you have all these words on a card in front of you, but you can't say the word Right? And you, so you have to go, it's not hot, it's... Right? And everybody... Uh, your Uncle Bob's out there like, it's not hot. Uh, right? And, and there's one in every family. Right? My grandmother, my mom's mom, we play games like this. And, and like the word would be weak. Right? And she'll get up there and she'll, I just don't know what I'm going to say about this. Right? And she does it every time. Like we would try, try to play charades with her. We play this game called malarkey where you have to bluff the definition of a word. And instead of bluffing, every single time she'll say, well, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. 
And actually, I love to play with people like that. It's like, I don't really have to worry about hers. Right? <laughs> Not being me, but I don't have to worry about her definition because obviously I don't know what to do about this is not the definition of why are there dimples on a golf ball. Okay, it's pretty obvious that they didn't come up with it. So you got these definitions though. It's not strong, it's, you know, and it's not dark, it's... And so we get definitions sometimes by their opposite. Well, New Testament koinonia is made more plain by God's expression of what it isn't. So go back to our text, and I want you to notice a couple of things on this. As we finish up the teaching part of this and we get to the application. 1 John chapter 1, one more time, and look at verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So we can see that fellowship is not walking in darkness. Right? It's pretty obvious here in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 3 gives us another insight on this. 2 Thessalonians. So that's a little bit harder to find. Give you a second to get over there. 2 Thessalonians 3. And there's actually a few instances in this chapter where God points out to us, this is not koinonia. Okay, this is not constructive to the body. This is not helpful to the family of God. Look at verse number 6 there, 2 Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves. So before we read the rest of the verse, do you understand how withdraw yourself is the opposite of koinonia? Right? Koinonia means we're supposed to come together in something. We're supposed to have a bond of unity. This says you're supposed to withdraw yourself. Now, let's look at the end of it. From every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, this isn't talking about man's tradition. This is talking about the apostles' doctrine. Right? If we're fighting over human traditions, we're fighting over the wrong thing. This is talking about actual doctrine of God's Word. Go down to verse number 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Whoo! Busybodies, right? And so what God's telling us is that gossip and busybodiness is not koinonia. So if we get together to tear other people down, that's not koinonia. God says koinonia is when we get together to build each other up. Now there are other scriptures we could look at where we understand that fellowship is something that's done between saints. It's done between brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse number 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man... And have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So once again, it's the opposite. It says, step back from him. Okay, doesn't mean that you don't pray for him, you don't love him, but you don't have koinonia. And there are reasons why on this. Because, think about this. God tells us in his word, if you have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, what begins to happen to you? 
you begin to buy into the works of darkness. Right? You begin to have your mind and your inhibitions worn down by what takes place. Do you know why in 2015 our nation, our politicians, our leaders can go out and openly promote things that we wouldn't even talk about back in the 1980s? Because we've heard about it enough. And our inhibitions have been worn down uh, just over time. Think about this. How many of you were around when television started? Right? Now, what year was it when television started? 1939, the World's Fair, right? But it didn't really start broadcasting until the 40s. Um, and then in the 50s, who came along? I love Lucy and she loves me. We're as happy as two can be. Now, all the people who are under 30 are like, what are you doing? <laughs> Lucy and Ricky. Now, think about Lucy and Ricky, right? They were married in real life, but on TV, they couldn't sleep in the same bed. Think about that, right? 1950s. Now, you go a little bit further, you get into the 60s, and you get into the Waltons, right? You get into some of these, uh, that might have even been 70s. But you start to have your inhibitions worn down. We're in the 60s. Now, a husband and wife on TV can actually sleep in the same bed. Then we get into the 70s, and we begin to have Dallas and Falcon Crest and all these shows where adultery was introduced onto television. Like broadcast television, where kids could sit in their living room and see a man and a woman who weren't married in the same bed together. The 1980s, it kept getting worse. And 19, by the 1990s, I want you to think about this. The sitcoms, Seinfeld, Friends, that's all the sitcoms I know. <laughs> I'm done. I'm, the list is gone. Adultery had now become the norm on television, right? It was normal on a sitcom. There wasn't a marital relationship, but it was actually rare to have a marital relationship because it had become the norm. And in the 90s, what was introduced the first time was homosexuality on television in prime time. But it was way outside the box. And then about 10 years ago, it started to become the norm, now over 90% of network primetime television shows introduce it not just as the norm, but as the ultimate, right? And so our society has had its inhibitions worn down toward the issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not even coming up here to preach against or for any issue. I'm trying to show you the graph of how our inhibitions get worn down. You know how it happens? By having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's, that's what it is. So God's helping us to understand about opposites here. Now, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll just show you one more. Well, actually, I'm going to show you two more because the last one's really interesting. 1 Corinthians 10. Check this one out. Now, this was about the things that they sacrificed and the things that they ate. 
which was a big deal back in the first century. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse number 20. But I say that the things with the Gentile sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So God says, this is an obvious one, right? Don't have koinonia with devils. He's shown us by the opposite what the word really means. Now, there's an obscure one that's, that's kind of interesting over in 2 John. 2 John is a little tougher to find, but since you've already been to 1 John, you know how to find it because you just keep going to the right two more pages. So 2 John is this tiny little book. It's only one chapter long. It has 13 verses in the whole book. And if you get over to 2 John, we see this, this instance of koinonia is described here. Verse number 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, which is the apostles' doctrine, the doctrine that they had stood for throughout this time since Jesus had been on the earth, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So that's that root again, koinonos, or koinono, partaker. And when you bid somebody Godspeed that is against the fellowship of the gospel, you can't possibly be fellowshipping with the gospel. Now, this is a verse that, that people have taken, and they've used it in all sorts of ways, but we're not, I'm not talking about cults. I'm not talking about when somebody knocks on your door and tries to hand you the watchtower or tries to invite you to a cult uh, opportunity or event or Bible study. Those things might fit into this. But what we're really talking about is when we put our sanction or approval on things that are against God's doctrine, we are not fellowshipping with God. We can't be. In fact, if you go back to 1 John again, this is back to your left a little bit, check out what God says. It's, this is blatant. This is huge. 1 Look at verse 22 of 1 John 2. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is anti-Christ that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not Father. So what it's trying to help us understand is this. If we are fellowshipping with things that are against God's Word in the area of salvation, it's not koinonia. It's not real fellowship. So that's the what of our fellowship. Now let's bring this all together into the why of our fellowship. And this is where we really wanted to get to for these last five or six minutes. Go back one page to 1 John 1, and I, I hope you didn't miss the huge, huge truth in verse number 4. Look what it says. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And here's the deal. If you aren't participating in biblical koinonia, you will be lacking in joy. 
And if you're honest, I'm sure you can point to times in your life where you've lost fellowship with Jesus. Maybe you've been out of touch with other believers, and you know that your spirit was dry and your joy was absent. And it's because we all need fellowship. We need to yearn for a closeness with Christ. We need people around us to sharpen us. And when fellowship is absent, so is joy. When fellowship is absent, so is perception and maturity. Look again how it's described in verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You know, lack of fellowship makes you lie to yourself. If your walk and your talk are doing two different things, you're a liar. And God is the one who said it, right? I didn't even have to say it. God said it. You, you notice how the L word is such a big thing, right? I, back in the Old West, they had gunfights if you called somebody a liar, right? If you call a, a politician the L word, even if she just lied to Congress, oh, or whatever, um, I, it's like the worst thing. You, you can't call somebody that. Well, God calls somebody that, right? You know who he called that? All of us. Look over Revelation 21. I'm going to show it to you. You're going to hate me for this, especially those of you who are not liars and have never told a lie. I would hate to have to ask you to raise your hands if you never told a lie. Because then everybody in the room would be like, good liar. <laughs> Look at Revelation 21, verse number 8. It's so interesting that God does it this way. He said, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, these are the worst of the worst, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You say, well, I'm not a murderer, so God's not going to send me to the lake of fire. I'm not a sorcerer. Sorcery. It's my little uh, frozen moment there. <laughs> Any, I've never seen the movie, but I always know when the guy's about to say sorcery, because I've heard it like 500 times in the back seat. And sorcerers, witchcraft, I've never committed adultery. Pastor, you don't understand. I don't deserve the lake of fire. If you've ever told a lie, that makes you a liar. And God said that all liars will have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, unless we have our sins covered by the blood of Jesus. And so God says, listen, if you say you have fellowship, but your walk is in darkness... You are a liar. Why do we need fellowship? We need fellowship because it's what gives us perspective of who we really are. When I get around God's Word, when I get around the Holy Spirit, when I get around God, I find out what I need. When I get around other believers, I find out what I really look like. Right? It's how I know who I am and how God wants to work in me. So this is... A big thing. Lack of fellowship takes away the authentic structure that you need, the accountability that you need 
to grow. It takes away the important relationships that you need when the storms of life blow your way. Koinonia helps us to walk in the light, to see ourselves honestly. If you see this next verse in 1 John 1, we already said where God calls us liars. But look at the contrast in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Koinonia helps us to walk in the light. It helps us to see ourselves honestly, as described in verse number 8. It helps us to confess our sins before God, as described in verse number 9. It helps us to know that we have an advocate with the Father, as described in the next chapter, first verse. It helps us to know that Jesus is the mercy seat for our sins, as it describes in chapter 2. When we call out to Him for fellowship, for relationship, He draws nigh. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God, and He will draw nigh unto you. God wants nothing more than to fellowship with you. He he wants nothing more. That's why He made you. He made you so that He can have community with you. About 2 o'clock yesterday morning, I woke up to this little two-year-old voice. Cried out repeatedly, I need my daddy to come in here. Wait about two seconds. I need my daddy to come in here. About two more seconds. I need my daddy to come in here. Now, if she had said mommy, I probably wouldn't have done anything. But because she said, I need my daddy to come in here, I went into Sophie's room, and I asked her what the problem was, and here was her deep explanation. Dad, I need to hold you. Two in the morning. Dad, I need to hold you. Now, don't get too cuddly with this. I'm not to the end of the story yet. (laughs) And, of course, I knew the whole way that this is a trick. (laughs) This is a trick. It is a deliberate trick to get to sleep in Mom and Dad's bed for the rest of the night and to make them both miserable and sleepless. But I fell for it anyway. And I've fallen for it before. You know why? Because my little girl said she needed me. That's all it took. Guess what happened at 1.45 this morning? (laughs) Because of what had happened the morning before, little more bold this time. Right? And we had an hour-long battle to try to get her to stay in her own bed in the middle of the night. And goodness, it was, the demons came out in our house. It was a mess. But at the end of it, finally got her back in her bed, and I actually had to bring my pillow into her room and lay down on the carpet. Let her rub her head a little bit, pat her back a little bit. And I'd think she's asleep, so I'd get up. Daddy! Daddy! I'd lay back down on the floor, pat her head, rub her back, 
wait about 10 minutes, kind of put my head up, see if she's got her eye like this. Like, how in the world is the kid staying awake? She's that stubborn where she's going to stay awake to see if I'm actually going to be here? And while, while I'm laying there on the floor, the miserable carpet, I thought of a couple of things. One thing I thought is, I'd rather be here than out on a, a cot hunting. <laughs> Another thing I thought was, I'd rather be here than in a foxhole somewhere. I thought, you know, my life's not really that bad. And then I tried to get up and go to bed again, Daddy! And then I thought this. Isn't it neat that innocent little children, even if they're trying to trick you, just want you? They just want your presence. They just want you there. And how long has it been since I or since you has gone to God and said, God, I need you. I need you to hold me. I need you to stay with me. The cool thing is this. God is totally different than I am. I can only be in one place at once. I can either be on the carpet, miserable in her room, or warm in my bed. God can be everywhere. God's all-powerful. God knows everything. God is limitless in every way. And yet, we fail to go and say, God, I just want to be with you. I just want to be in fellowship with you. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with each other. But when we say that we're doing those things and we're not really doing them, we lie. And really, I can't think of any other options on this one. We're either walking with our Savior or we're liars. Now, you may be here today without Jesus Christ in your life. And to begin that relationship is so vital and it's so important we can show you how to do that today. But as we close this morning, how does God want you to apply this to your life? How does God want you to come to him this week and say, God, I need you. I need your arms around me. I need fellowship with you. I need to grow in my accountability. Father, as we bow together, I, I pray that you would bless us throughout this week. Help us to take the things that we've learned about biblical fellowship today and to use them in our lives. We, we understand that this fellowship is only through you. It's only with you and other believers. And I pray that you would help us to understand the vital importance of being in community with you, with those around us. And would you enlarge us in our community? We need real fellowship with you and with each other. We need the light in our lives. I pray that you would guide us by your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand this morning? Just before we dismiss in prayer, I'm going to ask Connie to play through just a verse. And if you would like to...
pray at the altar at your seat. Maybe God's laid something on your heart today. I don't want to leave this place without allowing you to do that. And so as she she plays, you do what God wants to do this morning, right now. Lord, we confess to you this morning that we need you. We need you in our lives. And and we know that you're there. You said you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. We know that your promises are real. I pray that you would help us to step up and to do our part in fellowship, to walk with you, to abide with you to experience community with you and with the family of God. Guide us as we leave this place. Bring us back for the evening service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you tonight, everybody. God bless you.